Hello everyone. This is my first full episode where I'm going to read a sermon that I preached on July 15th, 2012. This is based on Year B, Proper 10 of the Revised Common Lectionary. A note about that before I get going. The Revised Common Lectionary is a lectionary of selected readings that are used by churches uh, among among them, including the Episcopal Church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, most mainline Lutheran churches, and so forth. What it does is ensure that most of these churches are reading the same scripture every Sunday, regardless of your denomination of faith. Our readings today are from Amos, a selection from Psalms, Ephesians, and Mark. If I ever get around to making notes for this podcast, I'll put a page to uh, link rather to lectionarypage.net, which is where you can refer to all of these readings if you'd like to. I will listen to what the Lord God is saying, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who turn their hearts to him. That sentence is the opening line from today's psalm reading. I think preachers of every denomination hope that there is that is the effect of their words on the congregation that day. We do our best to hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people in the appointed readings, not to all people everywhere, but to these people in this place and on this day. That's where Amos is in today's readings. Amos was prophesying in a rather odd time. He's considered one of the minor prophets in the Bible, like Ezekiel, from whom we heard last week. I say an odd time, but it was a time of great prosperity for Israel, at least for some. This time of great prosperity came at a cost to the majority of people, people like Amos and everyone he knew. Much wealth and land was amassed, but it was held exclusively by a small, powerful group of elites who would keep their power by manipulating the debt and credit of the poor to keep them that way. Stop me if you've heard this before. I know it's a podcast, you can't. Amos was a small, itinerant farmer, a herdsman and dresser of sycamore trees, as he says. Amos was one of those poor. God, through Amos, would address what those problems later. Instead, here he is talking to the king, Jeroboam, who reigned during this time of great prosperity for the few. But first, just a little bit of background. We didn't arrive at today's reading in a vacuum. This is the end of a conversation between God and Amos that started a few verses earlier. At the beginning of chapter 7, God is showing other things to Amos. At first, he shows him a plague of locusts descending on the land, and not at just any old time, but after what is called the king's mowings. If you think about that for a minute, it sounds pretty much like what it is. The early part of the harvest given in tribute to the king, typically for the horses of the king's army. In other words, these locusts would descend after the harvest for the king, and his cronies most likely, but before the harvest was taken for the rest of the people. Amos pleads with God not to do that, and God relents. In the next verses, God is going to wipe out everything, even the water, with a huge fire, so great is his wrath. Again, Amos sees that this would devastate the people, his friends, his family, and everyone they know. He pleads to God not to do this, and God relents, saying that he will not do that. Instead, God says, here is a plumb line, the standard of my law, and I want my people to build themselves once again on that plumb line. Well, that certainly sounds better than locusts and fire. 
Just as an aside for the parents out there, whenever you go looking around for parenting advice based on Christian values, you're invariably going to end up getting pointed to the book of Proverbs. It has some good things to say about child rearing, but what you should really pay attention to is the relationship between God and the prophets. This is very typical of God's conversations with some of the later prophets. He's so mad, he's just going to wipe everyone out and start all over again, or at least make them suffer greatly. Instead, he seems to simply settle for calling them back again to the fold. I don't think God really wanted to do these things to his children, his creation. But Amos was almost certainly worked up at the social injustice he saw all around him, and God knew this. So God talks Amos through all these terrible options, and I think Amos realizes that, you know, these are good cathartic thoughts in my head, but I'm talking to God, someone who can actually do this stuff. That'll humble you real quick. I've had a couple of conversations like that with my dad. I was so mad at something or someone, and I was just in a very destructive, foul mood. He wasn't the one threatening destruction, but I sure was. Instead, he was the one who really made me think through the consequences of what I was thinking of doing. Like Amos, I came to the conclusion that these sounded like good ideas in my head. But in the end, my best course of action was a peaceful one, especially one that let everyone involved get out of it with no bloodshed. So getting back to that plumb line, have any of you ever seen one? It's an incredibly simple but incredibly useful tool this has been around probably for as long as there's been a rope. That's a really long time. It's a length of string or rope weighted down at one end by a piece of metal or a rock. It's pretty simple. You hold it up with the air <clears throat> and with the weight at the bottom and use gravity to make the rope straight. Now we use things like a carpenter's level, but you'll see builders, especially bricklayers, using a plumb line today. Simply put, it's a standard. It says, this is an absolutely straight line that is perpendicular to the earth. If you use this to build a wall, it will be straight. And you can't use it just once. You have to use it all the time. Say I wanted to build a wall right here. I don't have anything to draw a straight line on to be standard. I just have to start building my stone wall, laying the masonry as best I can by eye. But every layer or two, I'm going to start to take out this plumb line and make sure what I've got built so far is straight. If it isn't, I have to pull those bricks or stones and try again, or do something to bring those stones in line. And that's what God is saying here. My law, my love of all creation, is the standard, the plumb line. I'm not going to bring a famine to the people with a plague of locusts or wipe them out with fire. Instead, I'm going to do what I've always done. Call them back once again into the fold. God's people are not following his law, and they are worshiping false idols. Jeroboam's priest hears this threat and pins it not on God, but on Amos. He warns Jeroboam that Amos is conspiring against him. Now Jeroboam's a smart man. He knows that Amos, a simple farmer, isn't going to kill him. But he knows who will, the Assyrian army. They were a huge army moving through that part of the world and a big scary threat to Israel's prosperity. At the same time, Jeroboam didn't want Amos's prophesying getting around. So he sends Amos forcibly back to his home in Judah and tells him never to prophesy again in Israel. It wasn't just the threat of the Assyrians that made him drive away Amos. It was the idea of returning to that plumb line, that standard of obeying God's law. It meant the first fruits of the harvest, what they call the king's mowings, 
would not go to the king of the land, but to God, the king of all. They would have to take care of the poor and alien and not marginalize them. They would have to give up their power because they knew there was only so much power to go around. And if others are going to have some power, that means I have to give up some of my own. God looked at Israel and did not see the sheep of his fold or the people of his hand. He saw a powerful, established few who made sure that they stayed that way. And they stayed that way by keeping the poor, the alien, and anyone who wasn't them on the margins. So God sends Amos to speak truth to this power and not just to confront them with the reality of what they're doing, but remind them of God's law to call them back to truth. And that truth is this, that God loves them and wants all of them to prosper, but not in the earthly sense, instead in the heavenly sense where all are invited to the banquet and no one goes without. They can only do this by obeying God's law, which is to love God and love your neighbor. You can't love either of them if you are busy trying to stay in power and in control. God sent Amos to say, Things might be great for you, King Jeroboam, and your friends, but they're not great for the majority of your people. I know you like things the way they are, but this can't continue if you want to call yourself God's chosen. If you are focused on making sure you and your friends stay in control, you're not focused on me. If you want true and lasting peace and prosperity, things have to change. Herod, in our gospel reading, was in much the same shape as Jeroboam, ruling during a time of relative peace and stability. But that peace and stability was brought at a price, the price of the Roman occupation. Herod didn't want John running around talking about a return to God's ways, just like Jeroboam didn't want Amos spouting the same thing. This would upset the priestly authority of the time. He was in a bad position. He was in a tight spot. He had to balance his own power with the power and prosperity of the priestly class, while trying not to incur the wrath of his Roman overlords. With all this manipulation, politics, and power, it's pretty hard to focus on God's law. John came to remind him that, and tell him, among other things, that it was unlawful for him to marry his brother's wife. But he ignores this and throws John into prison. He doesn't have him killed because John is just another ball he has to keep balanced in the air like a royal juggler. As the passage said, Herod likes to hear what John has to say, but is greatly perplexed by it. Keeping him in prison may not completely satisfy his wife's desire to see him killed, but at least he's off the street. But Herod is manipulated, manipulated by his wife, his daughter, and those around him. He knows in his heart it is wrong to kill someone just because your wife doesn't like what he has to say. He knows this is not God's justice, but he has painted himself into a corner, or in this case, built a crooked wall because he didn't use a plumb line as he built his life and his family. He wanted to return to that plumb line, return to God's love, but there were forces arrayed against him, forces that were staring him in the face, and he knew that he would... If he were to truly return to God's law, to that standard, it would be the end of his life as he knew it, and that scared him. So with a grieving heart, he had John the Baptist beheaded. That, of course, is not how the story ends. In fact, this passage from Mark begins with talk of the miracles that Jesus is performing in his preaching. Herod fears this because he thinks Jesus is John the Baptist back from the dead. In a sense, Herod's worst fears are truly realized. It's not John back from the dead, but instead Jesus, the Son of God, the living plumb line, 
the one who would ultimately challenge everyone's sense of power, even his disciples' ideas of power before and after being crucified. <clears throat> Jesus was not just going to speak truth to power. He was going to be truth to power. Jesus, the ultimate herdsman, calling us back to God's fold once and for all. He would embody all the wealth and prosperity we would ever need. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us, as Paul said in today's reading from Ephesians. Our triennial general convention in the Episcopal Church concluded this weekend in Indianapolis. For those of you unfamiliar with the structure of the Episcopal Church, the General Convention is our governing body and makes all legislative decisions for how we fund and run the Episcopal Church here in the U.S. and in several dioceses in Central America. One of the resolutions that passed, and did so unanimously, was C-095, calling for the restructuring of the Episcopal Church. The main thrust of this resolution is to call for a new structure in the Church that will decentralize power and free up resources to allow for more mission work in the world. In other words, it looked back at the plumb line and decided what it had crafted had gotten a bit off course. The church spoke truth to its own power. After 230 years of doing things one way, General Convention of the Episcopal Church recognizes that it has to do things very differently if we are not just to survive, but prosper and truly call ourselves children of God. Now, as I said, I wrote that sermon in 2012. The passage about my father was timely as he had just died a couple of months before. I remember then thinking a lot of times when I sit down and write a sermon, am I thinking about him? Am I thinking about me? Am I thinking about God? And I know I have to keep the focus on the word just as he always did. But I think the passage is also continues to be timely. Part of being reading from the from the RCL, or Revised Common Lectionary, that I talked about at the beginning, is these same readings come around about every three years. So we hear these same readings over and over again, and they're typically grouped together for a particular reason. Many times preachers will pull their hair out, at least what little hair they have left, trying to figure out why these three passages are put together. It can be sometimes a little tough to thread that needle between all three. It's no sin, of course, to choose to preach just on one passage in particular, but I can usually find something in common among the three. On the other hand, I don't preach every Sunday either. Back when I was preaching regularly, it was maybe once a quarter at best, so I didn't have to come up with the new material every week. Anyway, that's that reading, and I hope people find it topical and enjoyed it. And uh, I'll keep doing this for a while. Thanks. <laughs>